Hello, I'm Sumit Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. Firstly, a big thank you to all of you. We are cracking through the downloads. We've now hit nearly 14,000. So, so grateful for you to do so. Please keep downloading. Please keep sharing. It's great to get that voice out there. Remember, if you want to be on the podcast, then just get in touch. What a week it has been. Who is in charge? Do we know? It's Mr. Hunt, I said that very carefully, Mr. Hunt setting up the policies. And what's it done for us? Well, we now know that the energy support scheme that was going to be two years is now six months. So we're all scrabbling to work out how to deal with this. And there's a lot more stuff going to happen, I think, in this the period of this next podcast. Who knows what's going to happen? So look, bear in mind, things change very quickly. Keep in touch using futurenetzero.com or energylivenews.com where we'll be covering everything. I haven't got really much to say because frankly, I'm still trying to process everything that's going on. But today we'll be doing a podcast looking at something that's going to be vital for all of us, whatever the circumstances are over the next few months. And that is making sure that if we want to get to net zero as a business, we can do it. Let's talk about business. And business is facing a big challenge, which is it's got to decarbonize. What does that mean? Well, that means that often businesses are looking to put in things that help them decarbonize. It could be a solar panel, it's enough land, it could be a, a wind farm, it could be CHP, it could be loads of different things. But all these things will need to connect to the grid. We've all talked about in various podcasts you've seen over the series of our Net Hero podcast, we've looked at what the grid has to do and the grid will be and has to be the way that we get to net zero because if we're going to generate power we've got to get that into the grid if we're going to take green power it's got to come from the grid but is the grid possibly holding businesses back from reaching their net zero ambitions and if so what can be done about it that's the subject for this week's podcast and i'm delighted to say i'm joined by Pete Aston, who's a connections engineer from Consultancy Road Knight Taylor. Pete, hello. Hi, Sumit. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Uh, briefly, what does Road Knight Taylor do? So Road Knight Taylor is a small consultancy firm and they basically help developers get connected to the grid. So traditionally, we've been helping developers of, of large renewable energy projects, wind farms, solar farms, grid scale batteries connect to the grid. Increasingly, we're helping uh, larger demand customers find connections as well, sort of helping with sort of net zero ambitions like you were just talking about. You worked um, in a previous slide for one of the uh, DNOs. And if, if you don't know what a DNO is, ladies and gentlemen, basically think about it as the, your local grid, uh, distribution network operators, they're called. Um, but basically, it's the old grid with is divided up and correct me if I'm wrong here, Pete, because you're the expert, but you know, you have your big transmission, which is your big power stations to the big power cables that we all see when we're, when we're driving in our cars or trains over, over the countryside. And then that comes down to sort of local areas where a lot of that cabling is underground or it's the cables that you see going over overhead. So when you worked for one of these um, kind of distribution things and not giving away your age, Pete, but you've been around a while. It was very much quite easy, wasn't it? We didn't really worry because it's big power stations and you just take the power down and send it down the cable. Yeah, that's that's right. So yeah, your, your descriptions of the sort of 
transmission and distribution sort of boundaries, I think, good one. Um, yeah, so I worked for distribution network operators for 20 years. Um, it's only the last year and a bit, really, that I've I've moved into the consultancy world. So yeah, no, I know what it's like on, on the side of the, the grid companies. And yeah, it's definitely a difficult task that they've got. But, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to balance this sort of cost um, of developing the grid on the one hand and, you know, allowing customers to connect what they want on the other hand. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's a difficult balance, but, um, you know, the, gr the grid companies are, are, like you say, central to actually delivering all of this net zero. And, and the thing is, when you probably joined, they didn't have to do anything in two directions, did they? It all just went down. That, that's right. So, so when I started in the distribution companies 20 years ago, it was very much power was from the transmission network down through the distribution network out to customers. Yes, there were a few you know, wind farms in Cornwall, a, a few little yes. generators here and there, but not very much at all. But you know, in the last 20 years, particularly in the last 10 years, that the growth of generation connected to the distribution system has just grown exponentially almost and really sort of started about 10 years ago with a sort of feed-in tariff and uh, renew renewable obligation certificates and the the sort of solar rush that we saw, yes. um, you know, starting about 10 years ago. Yeah. Let's, let's just take the, the listeners back in time a bit and explain why perhaps the root of these problems is when the grid was built, right, and going back probably, well, a century maybe, I don't know how long ago, probably at least 60, 70 years, uh, you're looking at, Power was very simple, wasn't it? Can you explain how it was done and why the grid worked the way it did? Because it was never designed to be two-way, was it, really? No, definitely not designed to be two-way. I mean, essentially, it sort of came down to you know, technology. You know, the electricity was generated in large centralised power stations. Yes. And so a lot of them were coal-fired power stations. And that was then distributed down one direction from, from the large power stations into the transmission system yep. on down through the distribution system so it was definitely conceived of as a one-way flow of power does that mean that there's a problem from the beginning because these were designed i don't know how cables work but to go one way so that the infrastructure was built one way as well yeah um, i mean i think the the thing with cables Electricity can flow along a cable both ways. Electricity can flow through transformers, another key part of the sort of distribution system, both ways. But there are certain bits of technology in the system that actually don't work quite so well going yes. the, the other direction. Do work, but not quite so well. So sometimes need changing or, or reinforcing. And, you know, it, it has been generally harder to control power flow going the other direction from from the smaller scale generation back up through the grid but i, I think the, the way the grid was designed even though it was designed for, for a one-way power flow there was some inherent capacity in there right. for power flow in the other direction which is what basically has been used over the last 10 years or more connecting all these uh, small scale renewable energy projects what, what happens when you um connect let's let's say i've got a bit of land and i'll stick some solar panels the panels are generating power, right? And some of that power I use. What do I have to do to get that power to go back up the grid? Because that's the thing I, I, I still don't understand. And maybe you can take me through it, which is I get it that, you know, power stations pump the power down and it goes down. Do I need some way of getting the energy back in? Does the grid instantly know that power is there? How does that work where the power goes back from the local generation back up into the distribution network? 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, it will just flow to where the power is being consumed. So if you plug a generator into the system right. um, anywhere, that, that power will flow out of that generator into the system and will just be used. So so if you plugged in a, a smallish solar farm into the local grid, it would effectively end up supplying power to the, the local demands in that area, housing estates right. and, and schools and so on. Sort of from a more techie point of view, when you plug that generator into the grid, it will increase the voltage on the system at that location. Yeah. And if you like, it flows downhill from a higher voltage to the that, that's, lower that's, voltage. That's what I was trying it. to get to, yeah. It yeah. goes, if I remember my physics, high voltage goes to low, yes? Is that the way it kind of likes to be? Yeah, 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 essentially. That's right. I'm pretty thick, Pete, so you've got to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's go back and, and, and look at this because. As you said, about probably the solar feed-in tariff, but things were happening a little bit before that. What sort of things have we been now create, uh, connecting to the grid over the last 10 years? We've talked about sort of wind farms, big scale, but solar panels, what other things are now coming online from businesses and small places that would never have been conceived of 20 years ago? The main things that, you know, if you look at the sort of registers of what's connected, uh, in terms of pure megawatt capacity, you've, you've probably got wind and solar are the, the main sort of renewable forms of generation that are out there. There's lots of other things. There, there's various sort of combined heat and power type plants that might be using gas. Uh, there's biogas plants out there sort of using anaerobic digestion type processes where biological stuff is broken down and the gas from that is then used to power things. There's hydro as well. I mean, hydro has been used quite extensively in, in yeah, uh, Scotland for many years. You can have local hydro as well. I know, I know a place where they've got a small, you know, a stream and they've put in like a kind of Archimedes screw and that's generating power. It's quite weird. Yeah. So, so that there are, you know, there's all sorts of different technology types. I think the biggest change that's come certainly over the last five years is not really a generation technology, but um, storage. So it's battery storage, particularly, that has just increased very significantly on the grid over the last five years and is continuing to do so. And that basically is allowing more of the renewable energy, because, of course, the, the whole thing with the renewable energy is it's intermittent. And so that intermittency needs to be balanced with storage. So some of that generation where there's an excess generation can be stored and used at times when, you know, at night when the sun's gone in uh, or when it's not windy. So I think uh, battery storage technologies are really the, the, the key technology that's changed over the last five years. And, and how much has that increased? So, you know, uh, you said you were, you were at WPD until recently. So, you know, over the last last five, did you see a 5%, 10% increase? Or was it like ridiculous, like two, 300% increase? I think more than, you know, if, if we go back not much more than five years, yeah. you know, five, six, seven years, there was no large scale um, <laughs> grid scale batteries. Yeah. Um, now there's gigawatts tens of gigawatts worth of grid scale batteries with accepted offers all across the country so yes. you know is you always can't really do it as a percentage because um, yeah, i understand what you're saying it, it's gone from virtually nothing to a huge amount in a very short space of time and that's the issue isn't it that the grid is now having to connect more and more so where i live in north london a new housing estate's gone up and that housing estate they're all going to need power it's already being built from what I can see, to have EV parking. That'll need connection. And it looks like, although I'm not a super engineer, it looks like it's going to have some sort of battery as well because they've, they've stuck solar panels on there. So these things are happening 
what are the problems the grid's facing about trying to connect, particularly this big battery stuff, this big storage increase? Battery storage is has. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to use a highly technical term to is being a bit weird for the grid. <laughs> I like um, it. So, network companies haven't been quite sure how to deal with it o- over the last few years. So, a battery clearly isn't a generator because it doesn't generate its own electricity. It just sucks it in from the grid, stores it, pushes it back out again when it's needed. So, but it's not yet. It's not a demand customer. They're not actually using demand they're not using energy they're just storing it so so there's been a whole challenge in the industry as to how to classify it is it a generator is it demand or is it its own sort of special category uh, so that would be one thing generally network companies have viewed large-scale grid storage as both a demand and a generator and the problem with that has become as a generator, it takes up a lot of uh, export capacity on the system when, when you're trying to push power back out into the grid. As when viewed as demand, it's taken up a huge amount of import capacity when it's sort of sucking in power from exactly. the grid. Yeah. So it, in some ways, they have been treated in worst case scenario in both directions as a demand and a generator. Whereas actually, because they're very, very flexible, a battery could end up solving problems rather than causing problems. Uh, And I think that's where we've got to get to as an industry with grid scale batteries is allowing them to solve problems, not cause problems. And but that that is very challenging for the grid companies to do. And and this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, people may have heard the term flexibility, may have heard things like demand side response. But in essence, as we head towards this newer, cleaner future, You've said it, we'll have more renewable, right? We'll have more intermittency. So we'll have more battery. What what is flexibility and how could this help that problem you said about classifying a battery as a as as a demand or a or a generator? What what what, what can flexibility do? Because it's it's part of the government's plan for you know this winter and you know big energy companies are are offering chances for people to start making money out of flexibility, aren't they? Yeah, so so flexibility is sort of in some ways a bit of a catch-all term to describe all sorts of different things that could go on. But essentially, what flexibility and flexibility services are trying to tap into is that inherent capacity of um, existing demand customers and existing generation customers connected to the grid to flex their demand and generation up and down in order to not break the grid, uh, essentially, but and getting paid to do it. So. Um, as a network company, uh, and what I had to do quite a lot of the time in, in, in my role in the DNOs was try and say, when do we need to reinforce the network? When do we need to spend those thousands or millions of pounds yes. to, re- to reinforce the grid? And if you can defer that reinforcement by three, four, five years, that's actually quite a big saving, just being able to defer that. So what flexibility allows you to do is to say, right, for the next couple of winters instead of uh, putting some bigger cables to to reinforce the network i'm going to ask the customers in this particular part of the world to to be paid to reduce their demand during yes. peak demand times yeah. or i'm going to ask some generators to be paid to increase their generation uh, export at these peak demand times to, to cover the shortfall mm. Uh, and so that, that's the essence of flexibility services is being able to either completely remove the need for or to defer um, really expensive reinforcement schemes it, on the it's network. It's a tool, isn't it, that we're, we're going to have to use much more of? Because as you said, if you really wanted to do it properly, you'd have to dig up all the roads, stick in brand new cables, new transformers. And that's so much. We're bankrupt. We'd be bankrupt anyway. We're pretty bankrupt if we are, but that, that, that would be no, 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 a no go. 
So do you see this becoming much more important for where businesses, you know, can, can see some help here in, in as they start to connect and become more self-sustaining themselves, that flexibility will offer them the, the way of saying recouping some of their investment? I think to a certain extent it might do. Uh, flexibility schemes, I think, uh, in some ways going to be on the margins. They're deferring reinforcement. And so some of the flexibility payments, whilst they're you know good, they're, they're probably not going to but as you know completely by themselves justify investments but i think being able to tap into those flexibility arrangements is going to be really useful for lots of customers uh, it's not going to be possible for everyone because you need to be able to dispatch that flexibility so you know you've you've got to be able to reduce your demand if you say you're going to so i th- i think it's going to work really well for certain types of customer um, who've got that flexibility, or they might be able to install batteries behind the meter, for example, on their site to be able to act in that flexible way. And then I think one of the other crucial things is potentially needing to to use aggregators to to help you uh, dispatch that flexibility. So if you're very small, yeah. um, the, the DNOs aren't going to be able to deal with you. Of course, but, yeah. But if you go through an aggregator, that aggregator will add up the the sort of facilities of lots of smaller customers and will dispatch them as one sort of virtual large customer. So, so we've got so- a high street with loads of little shops. They all stick up solar panels individually. They're, they're not really worth it. They're, they're too much hassle, but they, they suddenly together become useful for the grid. Yeah, so I think solar panels are maybe not going to be able to participate in flexibility that much because right, ba- obviously, ba- yeah, your ba- the batteries. Some but if you, if you've got batteries installed as well, yeah, then then you're a lot more flexible. Um, and it all depends on exactly how many batteries you've installed uh, compared to the size of your demand and and being able to flex it and so on. So so yeah, but but I think potentially you could become useful to the grid if you install the right kit. This is that sort of stuff they're talking about, kind of peer-to-peer, aren't they? Little, uh, yeah. Trade. I think they've tried it in in Cornwall. They've done a little experiment. What would you say are the biggest obstacles right now for businesses who think, right, this is the way to do it? I've got some space, like we said, and I'm going to have some battery. I might electrify my fleet. Yeah. So I'm going to have a. Then I've got cars that are cleaner, but also they are a form of energy storage. So right now, you talked about, you know the reinforcement is, is tricky. What, what is limiting grid connections? Is it just a question of money? So I'm going to split it up here, import capacity and export capacity. So okay. um, let's do that. Let's do both. Yeah, because I, I think it's just useful to, to frame it in that sort of context. So import capacity, so how much you pull in from the grid, if you're wanting to proceed to, towards net zero, you are, like I think you mentioned earlier, you're going to want to electrify everything probably so from your yeah, you know fleet absolutely. transport through Heat, to everything, heating everything now that's going to massively increase your demand capacity you need import capacity you need from the network so one of the first things you're going to want to do is increase your import capacity now your existing connection might be able to provide you with that capacity it might be that you actually need a, a physically a bigger connection into your site um, it might be that the, the connection into your site is okay, but something on the wider network um, upstream 
is not capable of supporting that additional demand. So there's all sorts of challenges with increasing your import capacity. You might even need a higher voltage. If you're at low voltage, so sort of 400 volts, you might actually need an 11 kV connection. If you're at 11 kV, you might need a 33 kV connection or something like that. So I think increasing your demand is quite challenging. It's also quite challenging because what we talked about just now, Sumit, around batteries, there are lots of batteries that have got accepted offers out on the network, and they are actually taking up a lot of demand capacity on the network. So your your own ambitions to uh, increase your own site demand might be competing with batteries. You might also be competing with data centers in certain parts of the world. Data centers are an absolutely massive point demand. So, so there's scenarios now in West London, where capacity is very, very limited to, to only being able to connect a few sort of 100 kilowatts worth of new demand because of massive uh, requirement for data centers over there. So of course, yeah. So so import capacity um, is, is one crucial thing that I think most customers are going to need, but it could be in certain areas quite challenging to treat that. So, so I'd say that's probably the, the issues on the import side. On the export side, so wanting to push power out into the grid. So this becomes a little bit more complicated just in terms of whether you need to or not. So it, for example, if you want to connect, let, let's say you've got some sort of warehouse shed of some kind, you want to put solar on the roof. Um, seems like a really good idea. You've then got to work out, you know, how much solar can you fit on the roof? Are you going to use all of that on site? Um, if you're not going to use it all on site, then some of it's going to go out into the grid. If it's going to push back out into the grid, you need to apply for export capacity for, for your site. And there might not be any, or it might be very restricted. So you might then need to think about actually then installing batteries as well. To, God, to, it, sounds like a, it sounds like buying a house, legal nightmares. Well, yeah, it, it can be very complicated. So it's just trying to balance all these things. You know, what sort of generation might you want to install on the site? So I talk about solar with the solar roof. You might have some land next to your site where I think you mentioned earlier, you could put a wind farm or something. You might be next to yeah, a river. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. there's all sorts of things you might have. You might create gas from processes on your site that you could then use. In, in a gas engine or something, you know, it's th th there's all sorts of um, opportunities. And then you've got to work out, do you just use that on site um, or do you export it to the grid? And I think just one of the biggest issues with exporting into the grid is capacity on the distribution system is can be very problematic. Capacity on the transmission networks in national grids, really high voltage network, the 400,000 volt network, um, pretty much all across the country, timescales are 2028 or beyond for connection because of transmission constraints. So if you want to export generally more than a megawatt of power from your site, you, you're not gonna be able to connect that till 2028 or beyond because of restrictions on the transmission system. So, so it becomes- that, that comes hmm. back to the, the old thing, which is you went from big to small, going from you know small to big, but small is actually not that small at all now with more and more power being generated locally that's where the sticking point is isn't it yeah absolutely so i think one of the some some of the issues just just to zoom out slightly on the in the country as a whole there are just with accepted offers international grids transmission system something like nearly 300 gigawatts worth of capacity bear in mind our peak demand at the moment is only something like 50 gigawatts so so we've got huge amounts of capacity with accepted offers which we probably need a lot of 
which is brilliant, Re- really brilliant news for the future. Yeah, <laughs> we can't connect the things. <laughs> but then we we they can't be connected till all this reinforcement's been done at transmission level, and transmission right. level reinforcement takes you know to to uprate a circuit. Oh, can yeah. take you know five six years to build new transmission circuits can easily take 10 to 15 years you know so it's really so what, big so what stuff do we do if we're a business and we're thinking about doing this do we just start very small or or, or what do you do i think that th- there isn't really a one-size-fits-all uh, and a lot of it will depend on sort of the local network issues uh, and what you want but what i would say is really really try and understand your requirements first so so make sure that you're you're not just going in big just because it sounds good um because that could end up leaving you with very expensive connections or whatever um you've really got to assess your requirements do you really need all that import capacity you're applying for or can you do it in a more of a phased approach so I get. I think getting that strategy right is really important because you know if if you if you put the wrong applications into the network companies, you could end up with either lots of costs or long timescales or both. So I think one of those things is you know just be really thoughtful about what you are applying for uh, and just go for what you need rather than really big. Going for staged connections can sometimes work. So go, right, well, I, I'm going to put an application to increase my import capacity for, yeah. for this amount for now. And then potentially I'll put another application in for, for a larger capacity down the line. There are innovative solutions out there that DNO's uh, distribution network operators can use, uh, especially for generation export. Things like active network management can help to control power flows so that yeah. they don't, don't yeah. trigger reinforcements on the grid. There is one good thing coming up, uh, which is this significant code review that Ofgem was running. Basically, long and short of it is it's going to change the way DNOs charge for connections. So demand customers are not going to be charged for reinforcements, which is a good thing. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. But only up to a cap. And beyond that cap, you then get charged. Um, So you've just got to be very careful about um, will I trigger that cap or won't I in terms of picking up extra reinforcement costs? And then for generation, the, the charges are being reduced in terms of reinforcement. But again, there is a, a cap. So you just got to be a bit careful around that. But th- that kicks in 1st of April 2023. And that's it. This, this period, um, ED2, is that right? That's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah, so so ED2, that that's the the new sort of price control period for all the DNOs. So so they have these price control periods for uh, five years at a time from Ofgem. Yeah. So the new one starts April 23, goes through to April 28. And that's and basically, this one, yeah. Yeah, this one, Pete, is the one that, you know, Ofgem, you talk to Bears and everyone and the, and the grid companies, this is the one that they think is how you really kickstart net zero, this period of ED2. Because this is where they expect the growth in EVs and heat pumps and battery, and the grid's going to have to be ready for it. Is it though? That's my question to you. Do you think that that we can do the acceleration? Because this is the thing: as we transition, there's a point you reach where it's like the you know ditching horse and cart and getting cars. <laughs> you know, the horses carried on, cobbles carried on, and then one point it just went nuts, and people expected that to happen before the end of this decade, aren't they? Yeah, so I I think certainly I mean we're seeing it already with EVs that you could just go out on the road and see there's a lot more EVs than there were even a year ago, and so I I think you know everyone's in agreement that EVs are really going to ramp up. Uh, I think where there is 
disagreement or not complete agreement is what does that actually mean in terms of increasing demand on the network yeah. and, and i think yeah. that the dnos produce what they call the distribution future energy scenarios the dfes um which which tries to paint a picture of what the next five ten years are going to look like in terms of ramp up of car, uh, evs and heat pumps and so on we don't uh, really and, know do we? we i mean you know no, it's you know, all a finger in the air educated guess yeah we, we, we've got this thing before we go right now are we facing, do you think, you know, I don't want to call you a grid man, but I like, I like the terms. I'll call you a grid man. <laughs> a grid man. Do, do you think the grid is under a big challenge right now? Is it fit for purpose? It, well, let's put it this way. It's fit for purpose now. Can it make sure it's ensuring it's fit for purpose without massive costs, which means us, all of us, paying a lot more? Because we'll have to. I think this is probably the next five years or five, 10 years potentially are probably going to be one of the biggest challenges for the grid, maybe since it was constructed. Um, yeah. I, I think yeah. the what we've seen over the last 10 years or so is the using up of all that inherent capacity that was yeah. there when the grid was first built. Um, that's now starting to to be used up. And so decisions are now having to be made around really large scale investments. Um, and I think the the DNOs have tried to get ready for it. They've 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 put plans together to off gem through the ED2 planning process, and they've said we need to spend a lot of money mm. on reinforcing the grid. Um, and I, th I think it's inevitable that a lot of money will need to be spent to reinforce the grid. And I think the, yeah. and, and and it has to be paid for. But the, I think the questions are, you know, how much can it be deferred? through the use of smart technologies. And I think what Ofgen built into the ED2 process was these things called uncertainty mechanisms to a certain extent, allowing the DNOs to, to flex what they spend. If the sort of ramp up of EVs and heat pumps doesn't quite happen as fast as they thought they were going to, they might be able to spend a bit less on reinforcement. If it happens a bit faster, they might be able to spend a bit more. So, so the, 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 grid of, the grid companies have got some flexibility there with, with how they spend. But I think it's inevitable assuming that some money and quite a lot of money is going to have yeah, to be spent reinforcing the grid. <laughs> um, my last bit I want to just touch on before we go is the word smart grid. You know, people have heard this probably. I suppose smart, you know, things are much smarter, aren't they now? You know, things turn themselves off. Because like my my mum was like, you've got to turn your TV off. At the moment, it turns itself off. It's got power. <laughs> you know, these, the, 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 the EV I've got, it's got a charger which lets me charge at night and it, does it all. I just plug it in and it says, yeah, I'm going to put yep. it this time and do all that. I haven't got it, but people have, I know, have got things like fridges that bloody talk now. I mean, Christ, I don't know what else will talk. The Hoover will probably start talking soon. But they are, they all, they're all connecting and, you know, I'm being facetious, but this is kind of the future, isn't it? The devices, multiple devices talking to the grid and then the grid control locally going, yes, well, Mr. Bose is not using energy. I'll take his energy from his car and stick it somewhere else so Mr. Smith can have it instead. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been all sorts of interesting innovation projects that the, the, the grid companies have run and are yeah. running around, you know, how you do that local management of, mm. of grids. Um, historically, the low voltage networks that are the networks supplying our houses, there's been no monitoring on, on them. 
Right. Um, so, so the DNAs can't actually see what's happening on the cables uh, going down your street. Right. But with, with the advent of smart meters, which obviously gives interesting information that DNAs could potentially be able to use, uh, and also the rollout of other um, sort of cheap um, sensing technology so that the, the DNAs can start seeing what's happening at the low voltage networks, allows these sorts of management systems to start happening, you know, sort of um, smart charging uh, systems yes. so that yeah. you know for car charging that they can you know ramp that up and down depending on grid capacity yeah so that there's all sorts of things happening i think a lot of that smart tech is really going to help to minimize some of that spend yeah so I, th I think that's all really really good stuff you know it's been fascinating i'll be i've been very interested in this because it's it is an issue for more and more people because as we look at it you know even in my street one of my neighbors is looking at trying to get some solar panels you go down and you see industrial estates, people are putting in things like charging points. This is going to be part of our life now, isn't it? As we, you know, what we were as just consumers, most of us are now going to be a bit of a mixed bag, whether we're businesses or, or individuals. Yeah, absolutely. It's the it's sort of the uh, another electrical revolution, really, isn't it? And and you know, we're all part of it, and it's it is just going to become normal life, really. So solar panels on people's roofs are sort of so common now that you don't, don't really notice them anymore almost. And, you know, electric charges, uh, you know, in people's fronts of people's houses, it's sort of also common sight. So I, th I think these things are just going to become really commonplace. I think, I think in some ways the grid companies are like that sort of inimitable swan that looks like it's gliding serenely over yeah, the water, yeah, but, the but underneath is paddling like mad, <laughs> trying to keep up. Well, uh, it's been great to go on that on that little journey down the river with you today. Pete, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. It's been great. Thanks, Seamit. Good talking to Pete there, as I said. And uh, yeah, really interesting about where the grid will take us. Now, talking about taking us places, uh, just to get you in the zone and in the mood as we head towards Christmas, we'll be producing lots more content on Future Net Zero looking at what the implications are for all these changes in the uh, financing of energy, the energy bill uh, support scheme. And we'll be also looking at kind of where it all fits in for your business and organization. And if you need help, if you're struggling, trying to cope with it all, then drop us a line and also contact Ellis Hall, who's our head of carbon partnerships for some advice, because we, we're trying to catch up with everything. We can give you some advice as we process stuff and hopefully help all of you to navigate through this tricky period. Thanks for listening. Keep downloading. Catch you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.